Welcome to Not Artificially Sweetened, a weekly podcast where we reflect on all things diabetes. Your hosts are specialist physician Stan Landau and diabetes specialist nurse Michael Brown. We are passionate about using our talents to change lives for the better. Our mission is to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Nothing is off the table here as we discuss real people, their real issues and stories, and together discover real answers to many vexing practical issues in diabetes and its management. Welcome everybody to episode 17 of Not Artificially Sweetened. As always, together with me in studio is my colleague and friend, Stan Landau. Hello, everybody. So, Stan, we now have listeners in 17 countries, and we welcome the previous Soviet Socialist Republic of Georgia into our listener fold. So welcome to those listening in Georgia. We hope that you find value in what you hear. Remember that we can only spread this free education and advocacy initiative with your help. If you find value in these podcasts, we would appreciate you sharing it with your friends, family, and colleagues anywhere throughout the world. We also look forward to your comments, feedback, and questions. Our email address is podcast at cdediabetes.co.za. Remember that our preferred podcast platform is Spotify. Michael, when you think about the universality of the listenership we have, Georgia, you alluded to, and uh, I believe a couple of listeners out in the Maldives, it really speaks to the universality of diabetes and how the experiences of those people living with this condition and caring for people with diabetes really can be quite uniform, that the challenges that exist here and abroad are probably quite similar. And particularly in these financially challenging times, no doubt there are very few places on earth that have been spared the cost implications around the management of diabetes. Mm. So again, this education and advocacy forum that we have here, I hope continues to touch the lives of listeners and have a positive impact for the overall well-being and management of diabetes on a global level. That's what it's all about. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we see time and again in the clinic, this kind of ancient medical condition is in fact gout. Mm. And if I look back at our clinical work we've done this week, both in men and ladies, there often used to be this notion that gout was restricted to the so-called country squire of old England who would be eating beef and drinking red wine and ale. <laughs> uh, and in fact, diabetes and gout are intimate conditions. And it's something that we are mindful of. And very often we're quick as clinicians to fob off any kind of joint pain, which we've spoken about in previous podcasts. Pain and joint implications are common symptoms, but gout is something that we must keep at the top of our agenda when thinking about discomfort and pain. And that reminds us that diabetes, again, is not just a simple condition of hyperglycemia, that it is a global disorder of metabolism in which Many factors are involved, and of course, many treatments may be involved in ameliorating the effects of this condition. So as always, we try and give much greater insight into this very complex condition. One of the most powerful members of the wider diabetes care team is the registered dietitian. The history of nutrition in diabetes is long and originally started essentially with a starvation diet, which was applied to people mostly with type 1 diabetes to change their expected lifespan after diagnosis from a couple of months to maybe two or three years. The coming of insulin changed all that. And it obviously with that, our approach to medical nutrition therapy in the context of diabetes has also evolved and it continues to evolve. And to shed more light on the evolution of medical nutrition therapy in diabetes, we welcome back Omi Naidu, registered dietitian and director of Omi Naidu Incorporated and Nutrition Wellness Institute. He's also a serial entrepreneur and podcaster. 
that as discussed in a previous episode, he has a great passion for diabetes. So Omi, welcome back into the studio. We are looking forward to some of the insights that you can offer around dietary practice in diabetes. Thank you, Michael, for, for having me on the show. And, you know, once again, I've, I've done it before. Congratulations to you and Stan for this amazing initiative. Uh, hearing the introduction of an additional country and also a very different demographic speaks to just how we all face the same issues no matter where we are when it comes to medicine. Mm. That's the amazing thing of what you guys are doing. You guys are sharing information that is universal and that's breaking barriers and hopefully improving the outcomes of people with diabetes. Absolutely. We all bleed the same when we cut. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, it's quite coincidental that I'm on the show this week and last week was World Dietitians Week. So really excited to hopefully share some insights of how the role of the dietitian is evolving mm -hmm. and how the listener can maybe access more medical nutritional therapy. I mean, when you say it that way, you're implying that, and we see this in clinical practice, that perhaps Michael said that this is a lesser recognized member of that diabetes team. And in fact, many patients expressed great reservations and hesitation in seeking dietetic and nutritional counseling from a registered dietitian. Why could this be the case? That is a significant issue. When we look at what are some of the barriers to people with diabetes accessing a dietitian, they could range from a lack of belief from the referring healthcare provider. Mm. Dr. X has had a bad experience with a dietitian, or Dr. X has not kept himself updated when it comes to the evolution of how nutrition could improve the outcome for his patient. So firstly, it's a healthcare provider issue where there has a lack of belief or unsure if there's even going to be any benefit to their patient. The next thing is a lack of buy-in from a person Diabetes is a chronic condition. They were diagnosed 15 years ago. In year one, referred to a dietitian who they felt they didn't have a good experience from. Since then, medicine and nutrition has evolved and our understanding has improved, but they are still attached to that year one experience of what a dietitian is going to do for them. So a lot of the time, it's getting the person to improve their buy-in. And then the other one is cost. We know that we're living in tough economic times. And, you know, for listeners out there that are on a medical aid and they are diabetic, we've spoken about this previously where the prescribed minimum benefits from medical aids include the services of a dietitian annually, meaning that regardless of what plan you're on, there should be a way for you to access a dietitian as part of your chronic care. Whether that benefit is used or not, it gets forfeited at the end of the year. So to listeners out there, if you're on a medical aid, start having the discussion with your primary care provider. How do I access a dietitian? I heard it's covered part of my care benefit. For a listener that's in the public healthcare setting, know that there's an abundance of good quality dietitians in government hospitals. Ask your primary care doctor, ask the medical officer that's treating you, how do you get me referred to a dietitian? So whether it's private or whether it's public, the dietitians are out there waiting to help the listeners. If you're a doctor and you're not bought into the service yet, maybe do a refresher course like what the CDE offers. And in that way, you start to understand how do you practice evidence-based medicine that's the latest? And how do you then get onto the board of saying a dietitian can impact my patient's journey positively? I must concur with you. There is an abundance of good dietitians working in the public service. Anecdotally, what I have seen visiting such clinics is that often they are underutilized because, and this comes straight from the word of people with diabetes waiting in the queue, is that the pharmacy queue is eight hours long. And if I don't get in that queue, I'm not going to get my medication. So therefore, the dietitian is not seen. 
And I think that's something that our friends in advocacy and us as well, we need to fight against the structural limitations in the delivery of healthcare that mitigates against dietitians being used effectively for the role that they have. Michael, if I could add something there, you know, we cannot underestimate the role and the influence that the primary care provider has on that person. Mm -hmm. I've seen it time and time again, where Dr. X has given the person the card, but the person never gets in touch with us. Whereas Dr. Y has a two minute discussion in their consult saying, this is why you need to see a dietitian. I really believe that this is the person you need to connect with because from my side, in order for me to get you to target, your medication is on a maximal dosage. And now there's another element that I feel needs to be added on. So we often underestimate in the busyness of everything, just how influential that primary care provider is. Mm -hmm. It's not selling the service, but when Michael tells me there's a great movie out at the cinema and if I'm at the cinema this week, I'm probably going to be more likely to watch that because I know Michael and I trust Michael. Thank Patient you. trusts Stan where they trust what Stan is saying because they know that Stan has helped him through the years. Mm -hmm. So what he's recommending is something that needs to be done. So, you know, if there's any primary care providers or doctors on the line, just know the referral is not something where the receptionist says, there's a card, go and see the dietitian. If we can take 30 seconds in our consult to give more context and get the buy-in in that way, it makes such a big difference. I think that's a very valid point, Hermi. Uh, Just one thing I'd like to maybe turn on this head is that lifestyle measures, which is increased physical activity and good nutrition, actually form the foundation onto which we would then add the medications. Because what happens with medications, we can choose any medication you like. It's not going to work at its maximal effect without those lifestyle measures being in place. First, would you agree with that? Absolutely. So the SEMSDA guidelines and all the international bodies, diet and lifestyle is the first line. Sorry, I was just giving an example there where Dr. X has now in his mind where the dietitian fits in. Yes, yes. Yeah, because very often, not many doctors are doing the first line diet and lifestyle. For them, it might be a tear off from industry. Mm -hmm. Okay, we've done the diet and lifestyle. Let's start our metformin now yeah. and let's get the journey started. Mm -hmm. But yeah, definitely the diet and lifestyle is something that goes throughout the journey of diabetes. And, you know, to challenge and push the boundary even more to the listener who has diabetes. My question to them is, what are you doing to change the cycle or the trajectory of disease in your family? The condition that you have has a genetic and a lifestyle component. So your kids, unless we change the food, the lifestyle, and overall change the environment for them, we are ultimately setting them up for the same journey with diabetes as you had. Mm -hmm. So to a listener there, let's go one step further. Advocacy for diabetes is amazing. But if I were in an ideal setting, in an ideal world, my role as a dietitian would be in a preventative medicine role rather than a reactive medicine. Music to our ears. Hey, I said it before that if it's about nutrition, ask your dietitian. That stands firm. And I think, speaking as a healthcare provider myself, the worst people to offer nutrition advice is that two-minute glib tear-off that comes from an industry sponsor, which is riddled with do this, eat this, don't eat that. I like the idea that the dietitian plays far more than just the nutritional component. And I want you to touch on this for us, Omi, because a couple of things come to mind at this point. A lot of dietitians I interact with outside of my own clinical practice provide education in the setting of diabetes. They interpret the blood glucose downloads. They look at the social circumstances in which people are. I want you to expand on some of the other attributes that registered dietitians practice over and above the public's perceived notion that I'm going to be told what I can't eat. 
It's quite an interesting thing I find. When I interact with a new doctor and he buys into our service and wants to refer more patients, we do a little referral pad. And on that referral pad, it has the conditions that we most commonly can assist with. And it's a little tick box. You put the patient's name on top. And nine out of 10 times, I have this doctor looking with a blank expression. Can you help with all these conditions? Iron deficiency, anemia, constipation, you know, like so many other things that in his mind as a provider, he's already boxed where the dietitian fits in. So when we look at the person living with diabetes, it's a metabolic condition. It doesn't often occur in isolation. Very often I get referred a patient that has end-stage renal failure, but still hasn't never accessed any information on diabetes, Mm -hmm. which was actually the primary cause of their renal failure. So with the dietitian, we aim to assist with whatever medical conditions impacted by the food we eat. And nine out of 10 times, a lot of it is when it comes to metabolic disease, it's looking at things like gout, as Dan mentioned, renal failure, blood pressure. You know, there's an interesting study where they looked at what happened when you referred a patient to a dietitian versus the usual care of not sending to a dietitian. Mm. It was a 12-month study. And what they found was that after 12 months, the guys that accessed a dietitian had a 73% drop in their blood pressure medication. On the converse, the usual group had a 44% increase in their blood pressure medication. We talk about polypharmacy. We talk about side effect profile of medications. Knowing that the role of a dietitian is not limited to that blood glucose level. There's so many other things. When the person is over 60, we talk about something called sarcopenia, which is where they look fine, their fat levels are high, but their muscle levels are quite low. This impacts on mobility, immune function, and it also has an impact on how well the person is doing functionally. What we do as a dietitian is monitor these muscle levels. We Mm. use body composition and it gets me excited and you can hear it in my pitch. My voice gets faster and I get excited. Mm -hmm. But just to know to anybody listening out there, the role of a dietitian is so diverse. Let's connect with each other. If you are a patient or if you're a provider, connect to a dietitian in your area and start unpacking this exciting role that we offer. I like the idea that just the simple assessment of the grip of the strength of the hand is a good surrogate measure for well-being and sarcopenia or muscle bulk. Mm-hmm. How often do we see that particularly in our older person with diabetes? And also the ability to get out of a chair unaided using the quadriceps muscles. Very important. Yeah, the so-called get up and go test. Yeah. Great that, Michael. You know, if you're struggling and it takes a long time, it predicts the risk of falls, which come with its own injuries. And how often we see only patients who come out of hospital, perhaps for an unrelated medical condition, like a community-acquired pneumonia, braille, not eating, and the prolonged recovery, and suddenly the diabetes is presumed to be the sole reason for their prolonged recovery. And in fact, their nutrition, and I want to get your sense on this, often in the hospital setting is poor. The food plate is left at the end of the bed. Nobody's assessed this older person. They've missed their meal times. Meals are served at inconsistent times relative to the delivery of insulin, I often find patients come out of hospital need a very long recovery. And again, a punt there for the dietitian's role in the post-operative setting, in the post-hospitalization setting. Absolutely, Stan. And you know, when we look at sarcopenia, so loss of muscle mass, there's three big factors there. The one is not adequate protein. The next one is inflammation. And the third one being immobility. Now, all three factors, if you're looking in the hospital setting, the patient is not well, so they're not eating enough they are bedridden or bedbound for prolonged hours. And when you look at those CRP levels, it's often elevated. As a person living with diabetes, we know they also have that prolonged low-grade inflammatory state, which then predisposes the elderly person living with diabetes to that sarcopenia. So just to quote a study and to share some interesting information, there was a study done in Cape Town, tertiary hospital, and they included a few other hospitals on the continent of Africa. You know, when we hear academic hospitals, ideally, we know the system should be working. It's a well-oiled machine where we've got all the specialities and everybody knows everybody's role. And what they wanted to find out was what is the incidence of patients being at risk for hospital malnutrition? 
And what was a shocking finding from this was that the patients that qualified or quantified at being at risk of hospital malnutrition was 60%. So six out of 10 of the people that they evaluated in this academic hospital fell into that risk. Mm. But at discharge, that percentage went up to 72%, meaning that in that entire admission, the situation didn't get better. The patients didn't access the nutritional services. They found there was a poor referral to a dietitian, as well as when they looked, they took it one step further to say, which disciplines are the highest? And internal medicine, which is where a person living with diabetes, that came up with one of the highest levels as being at risk for hospital malnutrition. So the question is, so what? The so what is that this affects outcomes in terms of how long the patient stays in hospital, how many courses of antibiotics they may need. It affects what type of nutritional status we send back into the community. Mm. Overall, what we can do in the hospital setting then sets us up for what we send out back to the community or into the nursing homes. So hospital malnutrition is a huge thing. Mm. And for the person living with diabetes, when they're admitted, they're at a higher risk of this because of this inflammatory response getting more significant in that acute medical emergency. I think that it highlights the importance, this so-called hospital malnutrition, I would call it iatrogenic or treatment-induced malnutrition. And again, highlights the role for all healthcare professionals, even if they're not directly involved in diabetes care, to at least have some postgraduate training in diabetes so that we don't make these silly malpractice mistakes. When I used to work as a nurse in the wards and when I was a hospital manager, the first thing we used to do when a person, with, and this was obviously before I received any training, first thing we did for a person with diabetes as they walked through the door, please give us your medications, we'll administer to you. That's where the cycle of maladministration started. And then obviously not sufficient referral to dietetic services and so on. There's a lot that can be done to prevent this. So thanks for highlighting it. I think everything starts with awareness there. Mm. And what's important is, Michael, with your nursing background, I'm not sure if you can relate to this. Very often we do around and the doctor may even ask them, is a the patient eating? It's a simple yes or no. How much are they eating? Mm-hmm. Yes, he had half his plate. Okay, was half the plate just the rice or was there any protein in there? Because ultimately we're saying they're at risk for sarcopenia because we're causing them to be bed bound for so many days, because they've got inflammation, they're not eating enough. How are we then creating better awareness? So part of our roles as dietitians, so we've got a big team of nearly 10 dietitians and essentially our roles includes advocacy. So not just diabetes advocacy, but in the hospital setting, helping the nurse to be empowered mm-hmm. to prompt for a referral or to be empowered to interact or intervene when they see a problem when it comes to nutrition. Unfortunately, speaking structurally again, with the nursing viewpoint, what generally happens in wards is that the ward assistants would deliver the food, the person would either eat or not eat, depending on their functional ability, the ability to perform activities of daily living, and then the food would be taken. When I first trained, I trained in a public hospital, I think all nurses do, and we had one registered nurse supervising two wards, each of 36 patients. And when I worked in a private hospital, we had for about 36 patients, four registered nurses. And then over the years, I've seen that decline almost back to one registered nurse in private hospitals. And of course, it's been very much in the news lately that there's this moratorium on training more nurses that are vitally needed, not employing many nurses who are unemployed and preventing the specialization of nurses. So things are not going to get better. Again, I think there's an advocacy message to people with diabetes that in the future, it's going to become more and more incumbent on you, the person with diabetes, to learn more about your condition. And obviously, those of us with a passion for diabetes, for us to facilitate that self-care. 
I often find those patients in the hospital setting will come out of hospital. And one of the aspects of care that's often complained about, moaned about, is the food or the quality of the food. And I've always thought that that may be an issue of perhaps an in inverted commas control. You know, I couldn't control the drip, but you know, I don't normally eat these things. And maybe, I mean, a lot of people resist seeing registered dietitians because they may be this perceived idea of control. I'm going to lose control of the things I like to eat. You know, I'm going to go there and it's going to be boiled cabbage and maybe little else. What do you say to people with diabetes, particularly those with type 2? diabetes, perhaps their carers and their extended family, that that's really a historic sense of nutrition in diabetes. Absolutely. I think a lot of the studies show us when it comes to behavior modification, if it's a complete cold turkey overhaul approach, we can forget that to be sustainable. Your role working with a dietitian is to find a solution that works for you. So the solution that may work for Michael is very different to what works for Stan. As a dietitian, we take in consideration preferences firstly. We take into consideration lifestyle, work schedule, any sort of religious fasting days, budget. You know, the list goes on. But just to know that when you're seeing a dietitian, it's somebody that's taking all of those things into consideration. And the big thing for me and my team and for most dietitians is sustainability. Mm. Is this change going to be sustainable? And also we need to come to terms with that a dietitian is not a once-off consult. It's incremental changes as we get better and better. So again, we don't expect a 35-year-old person who needs to make some lifestyle changes has done the inappropriate eating patterns for 35 years. We can't expect them in 30 minutes to change that. We can't expect them in 30 days even to change that. So we've got to set realistic goals as to how soon and what we're going to change. Omi, I think you've set us up beautifully for the Sweet Life Diabetes Community advocacy message for this week. Let's have a listen. Here's what people with diabetes wish you knew. Giving advice is really easy. Living by that advice every time is much harder. Think about the last time you went out to a restaurant. Did you order the chips or did you order the salad? Did you order a juice or did you order sparkling water? Did you have dessert or did you abstain? I think it's very easy when you're in a position of authority to say, here is the advice that you should live by every time. But I would challenge you all to live by that advice every time. It's easy to do it once or twice, right? But it's really difficult when consistently you have to order the less fun version every single time you go out to a restaurant. And I think it's helpful to do that repeatedly so that you know that the advice you're giving is actually not that easy to follow. It's not that easy to make sure you exercise every single day, even though we know we should. It's not that easy to stick to the same routine, even though the same routine works. And that's helpful to recognize from both sides, I think. Well, thanks again to Sweet Life for their support of our show's advocacy efforts and we support them in return. Omi, what do you think about that message? I think as a healthcare provider, it's a tough pill to swallow. You know, we all do this introspection and realize that we all are guilty. Mm -hmm. Nobody has a state of utopia or nirvana where every <laughs> single day we're doing everything that's great for our health. But the one key word I think that sort of is in line with the Sweet Life message it's moderation. Mm -hmm. I always tell my patients, if you're doing the right thing 80% of the time, the other 20%, my belief is that you can go off course. But it's when you are going off course, it's about how often are you doing it? What portion size? On the day that you're eating something that you know is going to spike your sugars for lunch, don't often couple that with an unhealthy supper. It's just trying to figure out if I'm going to do something in eating an unhealthy item on a Sunday, because I know that's the Sunday family lunch. Mm -hmm. 
Can mm. I incorporate within an hour to an hour and a half a walk in the neighborhood with the family? So it's just trying to find that moderation. And if today I choose to have something that I really want, it's going to make me feel better. Must remember, food especially is something very emotional. We all have something what we call comfort foods. Absolutely. Certain days we may need it, mm. but what can I do to balance that off? And from that message, I hear moderation coming through quite a bit. Mm. I think so. I think we must never forget the joy of eating, and that must never be lost. One of the ways I recognize that I'm getting older is I have great difficulty in the supermarket reading food labels these days. <laughs> and uh, if you know, there's ever going to be more and more smaller print that has been packed onto a label, it's in the supermarket. Sure. And I often hear at the clinical setting that it's difficult in South Africa for people to get the nutritional information that actually is meaningful on a day-to-day -day basis. So, I mean, if you could design kind of this ideal box of biscuits or pasta or whatever it may be that had a meaningful message for a person with diabetes, albeit type 1 or type 2, that they could glean information. So somebody picking up a box of biscuits would know this is better, this is a less good choice. What would that message look like? Okay, so with labeling, we know that when we look at ingredients lists, very often it's labeled where the first five items are the highest amounts in that product. So if you're seeing anything related to sugar in that first five list, that's telling you the big volume of that product is made by something that's going to spike up your sugar levels. Other things we're going to look for are what's the content of fiber, mm. because we know the role of fiber in terms of glycemic control is significant. And then the other thing which people with diabetes don't often look at is the fat content. Very often products labeled diabetes friendly, they take out the sugar, they add a sweetener, but there's an extra bit of fat that's added to enhance the flavor. So we've got to be mindful, you know, when we're looking at it, carbohydrates, fats, protein, and then for the person living with diabetes, as you're getting older, you want to make sure that what you're having has a little bit of protein in it just to enhance that glycemic effect, but maintain good protein intake as well. Mm. So just to summarize, making sure sugar is not high up in that list, making sure that there's adequate fiber and being mindful of how much of fat, because very often products labeled for diabetics, take out the sugar, add in the fat. And we've mentioned that diabetes doesn't exist in isolation. Very seldom do I see an older person with diabetes that doesn't have cardiovascular disease as well. So we've got to be mindful of making sure overall the macros are fine. You talked about sugars, just the role of non-sugar carbohydrate content as well, because they also would have an effect on blood glucose. Maybe just say a few words about that. Yeah, so I think also just becoming aware with what's the total carbohydrates, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, all of these have an effect on your blood sugar levels. My general rule, I know it sounds terrible, but whenever we're having anything out of a box or can, we must not presume them to be extremely healthy. So when we're looking at a person living with diabetes or any medical condition, I'm a big proponent of having a natural diet. Yeah, Meaning that if you're wanting something, even make it at home, because then you start to control what's in it. If you want to add a bit of fiber, if you want to add a bit of nuts mm. you can do that because you're controlling the formulation mm. and very often the things that taste really good are laden with lots of unhealthy items so for me i'm a big promoter of can we get back to natural eating mm. and as much unprocessed stuff as possible absolutely speaking as a person with celiac disease prevalent in especially people with type 1 diabetes i try wherever possible to make my own gluten-free flours i make my own gluten-free bread and as you say it gives me that control of what i'd like to put in there and as a so-called older person already i intentionally look for higher levels of proteins within those flours so a lot of nut-based or legume-based flours i include to push up the protein content and to prevent muscle wasting as i get older.
Michael, that's excellent. And, you know, just to add in, there's a lot of buzz around the world on the anti-inflammatory diet. Mm -hmm. You know, we're saying that people living with diabetes have low-grade inflammatory states. Mm -hmm. We're saying that the type of lifestyles we live and the foods we eat are very Mm pro-inflammatory. And that increases disease with time. Mm -hmm. We're talking about cancers, cardiovascular Mm -hmm. disease, all of those things. So when we're looking at the anti-inflammatory diet, one of the biggest components of it is making sure you're having unrefined grains, Mm -hmm. meaning having less processed grains Correct. And more of that brown natural variants. Yeah, and that's interesting because again, I think it shows us the complexity of diabetes and related conditions. And we've talked a lot about bidirectional associations between various conditions. We know that certainly one of the major complications of poorly managed diabetes is cardiovascular risk. Also, there's a cancer risk. And when we talk about inflammation, inflammation not only drives diabetes-related complications, but it also drives the mutations that lead to cancers. So these things are really interrelated in a sort of common soil far beyond, I think, what most people are aware of. And again, going back to my condition of celiac disease, before I was diagnosed with celiac disease, I was highly allergic to almonds and to avocado. I can eat them now, no problem. And then when I spoke to my gastroenterologist, he said, yeah, well known. Once the inflammation of the celiac disease has been removed, you no longer have that leaky gut. You no longer have all these antigens entering your bloodstream. And he says, absolutely, I see it all the time. Wow, what a change in my life. Michael, if I could just share a conversation I had this morning, I found it a little bit funny, but interesting as well, where a hospital manager contacts me and in the private sector, when a hospital manager calls you, you think, oh, I've been in the naughty box, something's not right administratively or something like that. <laughs> and so, yeah, I am prepping myself for, you know, one of your dietitians, we've had issue X or whatever. Yes, yes. And it turns out that he goes on to say, I hope you're well and all of that. And we extend some pleasantries. And essentially, he's a person living with diabetes for a while hasn't seen a dietitian but says no i need to book an appointment with you i've seen dietitians i used to see them yearly i was in johannesburg i've moved towns i haven't really done it but my real reason why i want to see you so my model is that the referrals may come through to me and we've got a big team of equally qualified equally enthusiastic dietitians that see the patient and i'm like yeah sure dietitian x can see you she's based in that hospital we've got rooms there sure he pauses and he says, no, I want to see you. And I'm like, okay, no, it's fine. We can arrange that. No, Omi, the reason why is uh, the libido, the, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, erectile dysfunction. He's like, yeah, it's not been that great. And I only use that as a marker that I'm being a bit naughty with my diabetes. Uh-huh. So it's amazing how it's just all intertwined. Absolutely. And some patients are aware of the cues of when things are not going well. Mm. And of course, things like erectile dysfunction are related directly to things like smoking, alcohol abuse, poor blood glucose control over the long term, and so on. So absolutely, we must never forget these lifestyle-related causes for what we see in the health setting. So coming back to the original point, this big universe is more and more interconnected the deeper we delve into nutrition. Michael, Mm -hmm. as we come to the end of the show, the one key message for me to leave with today and to leave for our listeners is this. Nutrition is not a static entity. And Omi said it very well when he said that the initial consultation or interaction you had with your registered dietitian will have to change as time goes on. A person Mm. with diabetes is likely to require more medication perhaps in their lifespan, may even require insulin treatment, may require change in nutrition during periods of hospitalization and post-discharge may require change in nutrition if they have dental issues and false teeth and, you know, move into a retirement village or perhaps even an old age home in the classic sense. Therefore, the guidance you have on this dusty diet sheet you were handed 25 years ago, that's probably fit for the garbage bin at this point in time. And again, Mm -hmm. if it's about nutrition, ask the dietitian. 
For sure. And I think another takeaway message that I've gleaned is that there should be a very firm bi-directional relationship between the referring doctor and the registered dietitian, because if the doctor adds a therapy, let's say, for example, a sulfonylurea to the mix, that has implications for how and what the person should be eating, both to maintain good glycemic management and to prevent potential complications like hypoglycemia. And of course, that's not going to happen unless there's what Omi referred to as being trust between those practices and a mutual professional respect. So Omi, anything to tie up today's episode from your perspective? I think it's always exciting engaging with you guys. I really commend you for what you're doing. Thank you. But you know, in real Omi fashion, I'm going to maximize any airtime I get. Of course. And I'm going to leave you with one stat. I'm a big fan of health economics. Show me the benefit kind of thing. And there's a lovely study from the US which showed the offset cost of sending the patient to a dietitian. And interestingly, a single referral to a dietitian was quantified to equate to a $4,000 saving annually in terms of the healthcare budget. And now let's put that in rands, 82,000 rands. A single consult, 600 rand to 700 rand in our terms, equating to a significant benefit, meaning that that single interaction modifies the patient's behavior. Mm -hmm. and changes the trajectory for what sort of issues they face in that year. I think that's a wonderful OMI stat. <laughs> Thank you for that. It highlights the ongoing problem that the complications of poorly managed diabetes do not manifest immediately. And that is a fundamental issue in chronic care. Symptoms are not the reason for our healthcare interactions. The prevention of ill health, the minimization of future risk, and the attainment of maximum wellness are our goals and the reason for our existence. And unfortunately, we still are burdened with many healthcare practitioners who practice chronic medicine or try to practice in the chronic medicine space without an understanding of the chronic care approach. And they're still in the acute care mindset. And of course, it is doomed to fail. So thank you for that reminder. I hope that healthcare professionals listening will take note of that and reflect on the vast differences between chronic and acute care approaches. I want to thank everybody for joining us on this week's session. None less than Omi Nadu, our expert guest. For sure. Omi, we can't wait to have you back again in studio to unpack more aspects of this immense field of nutrition in the person with diabetes, person with chronic care. Thank you so much for your time this session. For our listeners out there, should you wish to share comments or offer feedback, participate in the surveys that we drop, it would be great to hear from you at podcast at cdediabetes.coza. Michael, I'm looking forward to an extended long weekend as we head towards the middle of the year and the public holiday on June 16. But for our listeners, we look forward to having you join us on the next podcast of Not Artificially Sweetened. And may your week ahead be a blessed one. Thank you, Stan. Thank you, Omi, for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. And we look forward to a great guest next week, one of the so-called golden cohort. We look forward to that. So have a blessed week also from me over and out. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us on Not Artificially Sweetened, where we aim to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Anything we discuss is for your reflection, education, personal growth and entertainment only. You join this podcast at your own risk, and we are not responsible for any omissions, errors or unwanted medical outcomes. Please note the following important specific disclaimers. For people with diabetes, the health professionals on this podcast are not your personal caregivers. Always discuss any new information with your diabetes team before acting on any aspect of it. The views and opinions discussed are those of the hosts only 
and do not represent those of any other entity. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you encounter in this session. Anything you learn or experience here cannot substitute for personalized, professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. For health professionals working in diabetes, always discuss any new information with your clinical team before acting on any aspect of it. You are personally accountable and liable for any choices made in a clinical setting according to your level of training and legal scope of practice. Any information or insights gained here must be used with your professional discretion and with the developing base of clinical evidence, local and organizational laws, regulations, guidelines and protocols. Good luck with your diabetes care missions. Till next time. And it's a wrap. Yay!